The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. And let's just talk in the first few months of your role. You've made climate finance a priority. I mean, can you talk to us about where you've seen progress and whether you think this is really a turning point for this discussion? You know, I think it's very important because the reality is that we've had the hottest year on record. We're aiming for another hot year. Clearly, this has to change. And you can't make climate and fight the climate issue without money coming to work on it. So it's one of the most important things. When I traveled around the world, I picked up the impression that dealing with poverty cannot be by itself. You have to deal with climate, pandemics, fragility. These are all intertwined crises. That's why we changed our mission to include livable planet in addition to eradicating poverty. So this is what we're on. And what I'm trying to do here to show you the progress is to make a commitment that we will get to 45% of our financing annually will go to climate by 2025, mm -hmm. two years from now, not 10 years from today. Right. That's $40 billion a year working on climate finance. How do you do that? How do you adjust your balance sheet to ensure that? Yeah, well, the good news is we've got to also raising capital along the way, thanks to this whole capital adequacy framework that the G20 got us going with. And we're also doing things like looking at whether we can securitize power of our balance sheet, existing balance sheet, free up some capital, and then partnerships. So you don't really do all that financing yourself. You can also get partnerships going. You know, I have great partners with the other multilateral banks, AIIB, EIB, EBRD. These are all people who work with us. So there's multiple ways to go at this. But at the end of the day, the much bigger issue here is, even if I do all that, even if the other multilateral banks do what they can, even if governments do all they can, you do need the private sector. Yeah. You're gonna need their ingenuity and technology and numbers. Right, and that's what you've been spending the past few days uh, talking a lot with the private sector. This is your first COP. Yes. Uh, can you talk to us about, I mean, give us a sense of what it's like in the room, where there's consensus and where there's still gaps within the private sector and the collaboration between oh, That's a great question. So the, so the private sector issue is the private sector now knows that solar and wind power per unit is cheaper than fossil fuel. That's proven with scale and technology. They know that it takes longer sometimes as a gestation period, and they know they may have some higher capex at front because they gotta build grids and you can't just build the installed capacity, right? So they understand that. So why is it then that they aren't burning down the doors of countries to go do this? It's for two or three reasons. One is, does the country have the capacity to absorb this kind of projects coming in? Can they connect the grids up? Can they do all that? Right. But second, and much more critical, is the two kinds of risks that private sector investors don't like, which they don't understand. Mm -hmm. They don't understand political risk, and they don't understand foreign exchange risk in the emerging markets. Yeah. Now, political risk, we can help with. We have this, inst this institution called MIGA, our international our guarantee agency. We've now got approval to use that for every multilateral development bank. Mm. They can use our back office to issue guarantees. This does political risk guarantees and then lays them off in the reinsurance market. Mm. We need to scale that. 
It's the FX risk. Yeah. That's the much harder. Well, how do you get around that? I mean, because that's not going away in a lot of emerging No, markets. so in fact, uh, you know, people keep talking about local currency markets as the way to do it. The reality is developing a local currency market with the right depth and width to be able to do this well can take five, ten years. We don't really have five or ten years. Right. So I think we have to find instruments like, could we do some local currency bond issuance that we subsidize the difference in costs through our balance sheet or our concessional financing? Can we do things with others where there's an institution called TCX, which is created to help take some of the FX risk in these markets? Can we scale them up? And so on and so forth. Can we do creative swaps where using our rating, we get at a lower price than what the country would? Hard. Okay. FX risk is the hardest one. Yeah, I mean, so then, Ajay, when we talk about the progress then at the end of COP28, your first COP, I mean, what does that look like for you? What is it that you're shooting for? Because there have been a number of initiatives and pledges. Yes. Of course, the World Bank has been a part of some of those. I mean, yes. what then does progress look like in the next few days? So I, I've got five very clear things I'm measuring on what we are doing. And the first one was getting that 45% of financing that we talked about. Mm -hmm. In that, 50% for mitigation, 50% for adaptation. Mm -hmm. So we don't only do emission avoidance. We also care about adapting and resilient infrastructure in the global south. I think that's very important. Mm -hmm. The second big one is methane. Methane is 80 times more toxic than carbon dioxide, but it only gets 2% of climate financing. Mm -hmm. So what we are doing is we've got actual projects on the ground on rice paddy cultivation, livestock management, and waste management. We're scaling those and saying we're going to get to 15 countries in 18 months, and over the course of these projects, take out 10 million tons of methane from the system. Mm -hmm. Third one is Africa. 600 million people in Africa don't have access to electricity. Right. We've got a project approved by our board, five billion of financing from IDA, our lowest price guarantee, kind of the cheapest fund location, 10 billion through governments and private sector. We're gonna connect 100 million people in seven years to power, solar power, including the grids that need to be existing to make this happen at scale. A fourth one is voluntary carbon markets. So I think the only way you transfer resources at scale from the developed world to the developing world for what the developing world deserves to be paid for, which is forests and natural right. resources, is voluntary carbon markets. But there's a lot of criticism about carbon markets. Yes, there is, because people felt that the credits that were coming weren't genuine credits. So you just picked on exactly the topic that's really important. Verifiable, genuine credits of integrity are what determine whether these markets will work. So what I'm doing is I'm not doing a carbon market where I'm not involved. I'm doing carbon markets with projects where the World Bank is doing a forestry project in a country. Right. So we're starting with four, going to 15 by the end of next year. Mm. We think these countries will generate 24 million credits next year itself mm. and 125 over five or six years. I'm certifying the environmental integrity through a jurisdictional audit. And I'm also certifying the social integrity that most of the money they earn will go to the communities and the indigenous people in that area. Right. I think if you do things like that and you do them with consistency, you will create the right kind of carbon markets for tomorrow. Right. Today, you're right. only getting five bucks a credit. Right. And we still, yes, but still a lot to go. Uh, but glad to have you here. Ajay Vanga with the World Bank. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.